This is a crowd podcast. A huge thank you to today's Patreon sponsor, Kirsty Rose. Thank you so much, Kirsty. It was also so lovely to meet some of our other Patreon sponsors um, after the show. Thank you so much for coming and seeing us. Oh, God, it was amazing. And we appreciate you all so, so much. If you'd like to join our Patreon and help keep the show going, head to patreon.com slash go love yourself for more information. Membership starts from £1 a week and you'll also get access to ad free and early episodes. Or you can support the show by subscribing on Apple Podcasts. The link to all of those will be in the episode description. Welcome to Go Love Yourself, the podcast where we're all trying to love ourselves a little bit more. It is all bollocks, isn't it? Like clothes are meant to fit us, we are not meant to fit clothes. The system is completely broken, it is completely messed up, it was never intended to work like this. That is not your fault. You didn't do anything. Dum, dum, dum. What the hell? Lauren, how are you? How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. It's nice to see you in person. In person. Technically, uh, we would have seen each other in person just a few days ago at our live show, which, to be honest, listeners, uh, at the time of recording this, because we would not have had time from the live show for this episode coming out, uh, it hasn't happened in our world currently, <laughs> but it has happened in your world as you're listening to it. And so what I will say is, wasn't it amazing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you love us. That'll be great. <laughs> wasn't it the best show ever? Hopefully you loved it um, and hopefully we didn't disappoint and thank you so much for coming. Oh, we would have loved it. So thank you so much. But just in general life, Laura, it is so nice to see you I in know. person. I've loved, we're recording for a couple of days in London at the minute and it's just so nice to do it in person and hang out with you as well. It's great. Buddy's in daycare. I'm getting regular updates of pictures of him on the slide. Oh, stop it. <laughs> and he's less humpy as well, I've He's been less humpy because he's already humped everyone once. Probably. He's like, yeah, you were shit. I'm not doing that again. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's great. I'm having like an MS sandwich, like getting out of the house and going to work. I was like, It is nice. This is nice. But yeah, it's actually so nice. I've been working from home a lot recently. Uh, really hating my life. This is so nice to be out. I've been basically doing the commute, essentially. Yeah. It's been great. And spending 20 quid on Pret a day. And oh, God, <laughs> guys, I miss that life so much. I miss it. My God. I used to have shares in Pret in between 2017 and 19. Oh, great so I love being in person it's great to see you and we've got a fabulous uh, episode for you guys today we do I'm so excited let's get into it Finding inclusive fitness spaces and a type of movement that makes you feel good is so difficult and we're taught that exercise is about punishing yourself or pushing yourself to the limit or competing with everybody or it's about changing or reducing the size of your body. But it shouldn't be this way and this is why we're really excited to be working with the virtual yoga studio to bring you inclusive, affordable yoga that you can do wherever and whenever you want. So yoga is something that's always really intrigued me because um, it seems really chill, which I love. And I love the fact that it's like a mix of movement and meditation. But I have to say, I've always been a bit put off because I don't know, I just feel like I've sort of be judged, maybe a bit uncomfortable for going to a class. Also, not going to lie, I sort of also worry about letting rip a little bit with all the moves. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um Anyway, <laughs> it's a thing though. It's a real thing. They say it all the time, don't they? So if you're interested in trying out yoga that is really inclusive and with none of that kind of judgment or worry, the virtual yoga studio could be perfect for you. And they run daily 30 minute classes, including yin yoga every Sunday, where you basically just lie in each pose for five minutes and relax. Plus there's a weekly 60 minute class. That all sounds really good. And that's how I also want to start my Sunday. I love this. Uh, they have also got an exercise library and that can help you improve your form and technique and a meditation and breathing section to help calm your mind so that's like the best of both worlds in my mm. eyes it's all about going at your own pace and spending time with yourself and 
I really love their motto, which is, we aren't here to show off, we're here to make you feel better. Oh, I love that. So if you want to try the virtual yoga studio for yourself, you can head to virtualyogastudio.com forward slash love. That's virtualyogastudio.com forward slash L-O-V-E. And for £15, you'll get three months of access to daily classes that can be done at your own pace and from wherever you want. So we talk all the time on Go Love Yourself about how messed up clothes sizing is. We are taught to equate our self-worth with what size knickers we wear, which is obviously not true. But the more we looked into it, the more we realised that clothes sizes are actually bullshit. Shocking! (laughs) And we wanted to do a bit more of a deep dive into this and find out exactly why this is. So today we are very excited to welcome a special guest, historian and tailor, Nicole Rudolph. Nicole, how are you? I'm wonderful. How are you guys? We're great, thanks. So excited to have you on. This is literally Lauren's wet dream. It's kind of a hybrid of fashion and history. I am so excited about this episode, not just because you are all the things that I think are awesome but we're going to debunk all the rubbishness about clothes sizing that just do us so much damage it's ridiculous but before we start that uh, we have got our segment at Go Love Yourself it's called The Bag of Dicks and I feel like we need a little theme tune for The Bag of Dicks we do need a theme tune you're so right so Nicole what would you like to put in our bag of dicks Oh my goodness. I'm pretty sure the thing that frustrates me most is the idea that women were absolutely helpless in the past because we end up just dismissing them as since they didn't have any power, they didn't actually do anything important, like just average everyday women. And I would really love for that to go into the bag of dicks because they did so many amazing things and they had so much control and influence and voice. We just don't usually look to listen to them. So true. History is very much his story. Like uh, that is it. You know, the, the female story is not told. I, I studied history up to degree level and I did. Did you? Listen. I know. I, I know, did. right? But I did <laughs> never really talk about it. Uh, not currently Googling master's degrees at all. Uh, but there is I little to no female history. And if it is, it's the story of witches and it's the Anne Boleyn and that's it and it's like hey other stuff happens yeah it's always the story of the women that rebelled or the women that acted like men as if Mm. that's the only way to get recorded but in reality just everyday women did so much and if we just think that they didn't have power then we won't look for it god yes Okay, that is going straight into uh, the bag of dicks, which we do now have a physical, actual, like, bag that is red and has a white penis on it. I feel like the bag of dicks needs tassels on it. That's just my personal oh, opinion. Yeah. Oh, my God. It Maybe needs a little gold like, bell at the end. No, I was going to say yeah, bell at the we end. We need to add to it every guest we have or everything we put in it. We should, like, put something embellish on. it. I have yeah. got a box of crafts. That I can do some embellishments. That sounds, that sounds good to me. <laughs> so, Nicole, the first question I want to ask is, where did standard sizing even come from? Can you tell us a little bit about the history of it? Yeah. So, essentially, it's important to note that prior to standardized sizing, the system for making most people's, and I really do mean most people's, fitted clothing, like suits, dresses, whatever it is, was to make it personally custom to you. If you needed Mm -hmm. a cheap dress, you had cheap fabric. 
the making up was not expensive. So you could have something remade and fitted and changed constantly. So they literally draped the fabric over your body and cut and fit and like pinned to you. In the case of tailors, they measured, but they measured without numbers. They measured with like a paper tape and put little notches in it. So prior to the late 19th century, we didn't really apply numbers to people's bodies, like at all. And it started to change in the late 19th century because the way that we sold clothing and bought clothing changed. Suddenly we have things like catalogs where you can order long distance, or we have things like department stores where you can walk in and it used to be that people would assist you and hand you what you needed. But now we're literally grabbing things off the shelf ourselves as customers. So they needed to come up with a system that allowed the customer to know what to order more consistently. Because putting five measurements on a garment that was pre-made, which was a new thing to begin with, was just going to be confusing. Like, you don't necessarily know what all of your measurements are, all of your proportions. So they wanted to come up with a system that allowed people to know when they walked into a store what to grab. Because prior to that, everything was custom made. And so it was a new thing. I mean, I get the logic, right? You've got to come up with a system where people know which one that they need to buy. I totally get it. And I find it so interesting that, you know, I feel like there's a lot of uh, backlash against when we talk about things like patriarchy in in these systemic, you know, phobia and all these big words. This hasn't been, you know, the sizing hasn't been something that we've lived with for centuries and centuries. A couple, yes. And it's obviously just got worse since then. So it's so interesting and reassuring to know that our 16th century sisters weren't dealing with this bullshit i mean they had other things going on they were getting beheaded and that was terrible but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah they didn't have to do sizing in zara did yeah, they yeah they they could basically they went to the store to buy fabric that they liked and then they walked down to somebody to make it up for them exactly how they wanted it and mm. that was just what was normal And even when we started mass producing garments, they started off with obviously workwear, casual wear, unfitted things, lots of stuff like that. But gradually, as it became fashionable clothing that was mass produced, there was still an expectation of it being altered to fit, that you would go to the store and you would pick up a pair of trousers or a skirt or a blouse or whatever it is. And they very often had in-store people to alter your clothing or you knew how to sew because that was a skill akin to reading or writing. It's just easy and normal Mm. for people to learn that. And so everyone knew that your clothing wasn't going to just fit you. That's not the way it worked. The clothing was meant to be altered to fit whatever you needed it to be, rather than like the modern concept of you alter yourself to fit your clothing. I feel like that's such a lost art, isn't it? I mean, like Lauren's just recently done a sewing course. And I know a couple of my friends have also done the same thing. I'm really interested in that as well, because I think... So often as well, especially when you are bigger, I think it is difficult because there are a lot of people that are plus size and tall, plus size and petite, plus size and pregnant. That's something that we need to like bring back. Surely. I think we get so much more wear out of our clothes and enjoy wearing them and feel better in them if we did that. Yeah, not only was alteration like the standard way of doing things, but when they first came out with sizing systems, they still had all of those variations. They had proportion variations. Oh, really? So the version that we have now is like a pared down, minuscule, streamlined version that was never what was intended originally and never foresaw the type of fashion industry that we have now. So they actually had not only what eventually developed into teenagers styles now. So we've kind of put that as teenagers. It used to be misses. 
And sometimes you find petite, but it's not that common. And then they also had not just what turned into plus size, but they originally started with a system that was called half sizes. And half sizes were the same range as regular sizes. They had a big, wide range, but they were for women who were shorter and had bigger hips and bigger arms. That was normal in the 1930s and 40s when they were coming up with the standardized system because not everybody, like when they first came out with the idea of sizes, which wasn't like a brand new thing, shoes had had them for a long time, that sort of thing. But they were doing it differently from place to place because they weren't sure how to do it. And they kind of had their own secret code systems. So that way the customers wouldn't know what they were because they were concerned with the idea of vanity sizing being a problem. And so they had like all these secret codes and gradually they had to get rid of that because people physically went and pulled it off the shelves. They couldn't read the codes themselves. And it's cheaper to pay. It's, let me put it this way. It's cheaper for your customers to do the work of picking the clothing than to pay someone who's a professional to do it. So oh, it's all down to the money. Yeah. Isn't it? This <sighs> entire the entire story of this comes down to money, making things more cheaply, more easily, with less effort, less people. <laughs> and the vanity sizing is a really interesting one as well because there's a lot of research to suggest that people do actually tend to shop more with retailers that have vanity sizing. And uh, if anyone's listening doesn't, doesn't know what that is, it basically means that they're more, oh, how do you say, generous with the sizing. So maybe what would actually would be a 14, they would class as a 12. And I know so many brands that do that, and w- which is what makes it really, really hard to buy clothes because you can be a I'm size. I'm not going to lie. I had never heard of this. Oh, really? I've, I swear to you, bear in mind my life. I've never heard of that concept. Bear in mind my life. Bear in mind my life. And I buy, you know, big clothes. And I and I, I, did, I just thought everyone yeah. was terrible. Like, like I could buy a whatever no, here and a whatever here. This is actually a thing. That is one of the reasons why there is such inconsistency, I think, because a lot of brands do it because they know that people want to... Like, it, it does have a psychological impact. It's good intentions, but it just makes it inconsistent when yeah. you're... You know, you think you're a size 24 in one shop and then you go to another one and you're a size 30. And then you're like, what? And that that actually, in, in many respects, that's why I would really, really appreciate it if brands just had consistent sizing. Yeah. Vanity sizing was literally created because we created sizes. So it was a problem in shoes, because shoes had sizes first, they standardized sizes in the 1880s. Clothing didn't really get an official standardization until the 1930s and 40s. Part of that was to prevent vanity sizing. But the problem was the system they came up with was very much suggestions, not rules. So everyone just kind of kept doing what they wanted to. That's why you may have heard the concept of Marilyn Monroe was a size 16 or whatever she was. In reality, a size 16 historically in the 1940s and 50s is more like a size 6 or size 8. So US 6 to 8 would be a UK 10 to 12. Yeah, which is its own mess in the story of standardized sizing, (laughs) how we ended up with different ones. Because we didn't start with different ones. We started with the same ones. Really? So what happened? This vanity sizing happened. Right. Oh, this is so. This is so much more of a mess than I thought it would be. And I, I, obviously, as a history fan, I'd like to hark back to previous days all the time. Anyway, but how did we get? Like, how can you go from people having like tailored stuff to then standardizing it, but standardizing it in such a terrible, 
incorrect way. So the way that they standardized sizes was they went around and took measurements of a few thousand women. And they did this not just in the US, but in the UK and in various countries in Europe. They went around and did that. The problem, of course, is that they took a very limited sample. (laughs) Inevitably, it's going to be all white middle class women. Yep. (laughs) So it's not going to have the variety, but it was never intended to. That's the really important thing is they acknowledged Ah. that it was not enough people and that this was a start, that it was supposed to be something that was repeated. And more importantly, that it was additional information. This was supplemental information that was supposed to be added to what businesses already knew about their local population. Because remember, the 1930s and the 1940s, companies aren't even nationally wide. They are local. So they know who their local populace is. They know what locally sells. So what sells to women in Minneapolis, in Minnesota, isn't what's going to sell in California, isn't what's going to sell in New York, isn't what's going to sell in London or up in Edinburgh or any place like that. So they know that their local populace is a different size, different proportion, different style, and they adjust. This was just helpful information for those who were looking to, you know, standardize their size so people could have an easier time buying off of catalogs or whatever. So this was never meant to work for international companies (laughs) who are now producing the same t-shirt for the entire world. So how have they changed and why have they changed? So if we go back to the time of 1950s, when you were talking about Marilyn being a size 16 in the 50s, which is much different to what we see now, like how and when and why did that change? A lot of it has to do with the fact that in the 1970s, we introduced stretch fabric. Oh, okay. And everything became way more adjustable. And that's also coinciding with the period where people stopped learning how to sew and alter the clothing. And the labor became more and more expensive as we made it through the 20th century. And we started putting the labor elsewhere. So there weren't people here locally that professionally could alter your clothing for you or make your clothing for you. They were now making the clothing in other countries. And so the skills left, the jobs left, the fabric got cheaper and cheaper because more and more machinery. And it became this matter of, well, your clothing is stretchy, so it's going to adjust to fit lots of people. So we don't need nearly as customized of a system. We don't need different proportions. Things are going to fit people. And then people realize they didn't fit them. And instead of, you know, going out and protesting the fact that they couldn't find clothes to fit themselves, they just decided they were the problem and they needed to alter their bodies to fit. And then they started dieting. Dum, dum, dum. What the hell? Am I kind of to take from that that you think that there is a direct correlation between the change in how we dress and diet culture? Oh, yeah. So dieting is a concept that really takes off first in the 19-teens. Prior to the 19-teens, if you find ads about women's bodies, they're actually for gaining weight. (laughs) They're saying, you don't want to be stick straight. So here's this supplement to give yourself the curves. So that way you aren't just padding yourself out. Because remember, prior to the 19-teens, women were wearing corsets and petticoats and all these layers. Those hide everything. And we're not corseting ourselves into an extreme level where we're passing out all the time, they're padding themselves out. It's all an illusion. So you could have inches upon inches of padding on your butt to make it look like your waist was the right proportions because they weren't concerned with the number that your waist was. They were concerned with the proportions that your body were. But when we hit the 19 teens, 
the straight figure is what is in. So curves are out. And as we move towards the 1920s, not only are curves out, corsets are out. And clothing is lightweight and really flowy, and you can't hide anything underneath of it. So now you need to adjust your body to work for the clothing because that clothing can't adjust for you. And that's where we got diet culture. It didn't exist prior to that. I'm absolutely bamboozled, personally. Laura, about you? <laughs> oh, massively. And it, it kind of just, it also makes me quite sad in really to think about it and how women's bodies like have always been seen as trends. And, and if you don't fit that, I mean, you know, then maybe in 30 years you will. 10 years ago, like, you know, the Kim Kardashian, the kind of, the, and even then before that, we had like the J-Lo balm and the Curse and they were all in. And then recently we've been hearing reports about heroin chic being back in fashion. No, it's fucking not, by the way. Um, we're not doing that again. But it's really sad because if you're not built like that, it has a direct like correlation between your worth. And even like I'm finding now, we were just talking about this the other day, weren't we, Lauren, about the whole 90s fashion that's back in with the kind of the boob tubes and the cargo pants and stuff. They're not really, to be honest, like I don't like the word flattering because I think you just wear what you want. But also like, I'm, you know, I'm in my 30s. I don't want to wear a crop top. If you do, that's great. I'm really happy for you. Wear what you want. But I don't want to wear that. And I don't know. It's yeah. just sad. We tend to use the word comfortable a lot as the replacement yeah. for flattering because it's a matter of are you comfortable in this? Because it's not just physical comfort, it's emotional and mental comfort as well. And those things are not comfortable, even if you are the appropriate, like expected proportions for those things. You spend your entire time fighting with them. It's like I was definitely a teenager in the era of strapless and tu- like tube tops, and I had mm. the body that was considered ideal for it, but it was frankly just uncomfortable to wear because you're conscious of it all the time. Sucking in the stomach all the time. I remember that as well because I, I did as well and, and you knew yeah. them, but you were like, it wasn't comfortable. Yeah, and that's how I got started in this was because when I was in college in the early 2000s, I was like, I hate this. What can I do that's better? I can sew. And I started making vintage and historic clothing to feel better about myself, not like in a shameful way, but just I didn't feel comfortable in that clothing. Mm. And so that's how I got started doing this and was like, oh, this is so much better. And then I went and at one point worked in 18th century clothing for years and was like, this is so much easier. We tend to think of that clothing as we can't move around in that clothing. We can't do things like, no, I could totally do everything I needed to do in that clothing. I did lots of physical activity, but I had this physical structure around me that meant that no one saw my body. So if I wasn't feeling good that day and I was super bloated, no one saw that. (laughs) I didn't have to be conscious of movement and how I sat and all of those things and what my body looked like because no one saw it. It was beneath this hard shell that just hid everything away and made look like it was just what exactly was perfect at the time. Like It was great. I didn't have to think about it. Everything was super adjustable. And every single day, I looked completely perfectly put together. And yet here we are in 2023, all messed up from years of diet culture and sizing messing us about. And like Laura said, you know, and when we say it quite a lot, is that you know if we order clothes online, often definitely always have to buy two sizes, if not sometimes three, depending on the brand, because I don't know which is going to fit me. Sizing doesn't mean anything. Their sizing charts mean nothing to me. And I mean, that's kind of the the answer to how to fix it is the fact that the sizing charts that they have online mean so little. And it really should be by the garment as to what size things are. And there should be more measurements. That's so true, because there's sometimes certain styles 
Like, you just know, don't you? Like, if something, like, is not A-line or Empire line or it's a certain fabric, you, like, tend to know that you're going to have to size up. Yeah, and it's also a matter of just where the proportions are going to sit. And I would love to see, in my case, I have big arms. I would love to see that measurement included on certain things because I will actively avoid styles that might be too fitted. Yeah. What are the odds that it's going to work for me or be comfortable? And I don't want to waste money or waste literal energy getting that stuff to me and then having to return it. Yeah. There are some companies that have started to do the thing where they have like a little review section down below where people are able to say what they bought and whether it worked for them. So as a customer, that's what I highly recommend. Everybody go spend a bunch of time doing whenever you can can like mm. put in as much information as you are comfortable sharing obviously there's a level where you know it's it is anonymous but if you don't want to measure that body part don't but if you can put in that extra information like even just oh this fit my arms and nothing ever does can be really helpful to someone else so that's what you as a customer can do for right now <laughs> aside from learning how to sew and alter your clothing because you will feel so much better about yourself because it's not your fault that the clothing doesn't fit it's the clothing's fault <laughs> Yeah. Blame the clothing. We are not meant to fit clothes. <laughs> clothes are meant to fit us. Yeah, they're Definitely, meant to be yeah. adjustable and changeable. And I'm I'm glad that we're like including more adjustability, like elastic in the back of pants and things like that is becoming yeah. a trend again. But you know, clothing used to be intentionally adjustable. And even when they were developing the size system in like the 1930s, you go and look at those, most of those dresses are just kind of straight tubes that they put a belt on. So your proportions didn't matter. So 1954 was when the British system for sizing came out and they based it off of hip size. And this was meant for dresses. This wasn't meant for other garments, just for dresses. It was based off of hip size because that was usually the largest measurement that you had to deal with for women. So you bought it big enough for that and then you belted it in, took it in wherever else you needed to. So I'm interested to know what trends you see happening in the future and where would you like things to get to? Uh, the trend that I'm seeing, at least within the community that I take part in, is the fact that stuff is being purchased from smaller companies that are working towards what their customer base is and figuring that out directly. So that way they're not mass producing again for an international audience. They're producing for who buys that particular weird style of thing. And then they can adjust their measurement charts, their size range and all of that to work better for those people. And so there's more options in that. It doesn't make it necessarily easier to find what you want necessarily, but it's a good start. Basically getting away from these giant corporations that are going to just produce the same pair of jeans and expect everyone to fit them. And a lot of the time in an unethical and unenvironmentally friendly way. Yeah. So it's like if you can buy smaller, definitely do that. But just be more creative in the way that you wear clothing as well. That's definitely a thing that's hugely taking off. Being willing to wear clothing in ways that it wasn't intended for or buy something bigger and belt it in, whatever Mm -hmm. it may be, and trying to understand that buying something bigger isn't a bad thing. It just means that you're going to interact with that clothing in a different way. It's time for a quick break so we can tell you about Gusto. Gusto gives you everything you need to create incredible home-cooked meals, including the exact right portions of fresh, high-quality ingredients so you won't be wasting lots of food. For me personally, choosing what to cook, getting all the ingredients and having to buy way too much of everything for just me, just one person... 
it, it can put me off. So Gusto is a great option. There's also so much to choose from. They have over 250 recipes a month for you to try, including things like 10-minute sushi salmon rice bowl, which sounds so good, a potato cake beef burger with Irish-style tomato relish, and battered fish with salt and vinegar chips. I am literally salivating. I need that right now. So if you do too, head to gusto.co.uk and use code LOVE for 60% off your first box and 25% off all boxes for two months. So we asked some of our listeners for some questions for you, Nicole, and we were inundated. So we had one question from Caitlin. She says, has plus size clothing always been less available slash stigmatized or is that a new thing? It's definitely a new thing. Like I said, original system included a much wider range, not just in sizes, but also in proportions. And that was normal. And if you say had a business in an area where your local populace trended that way, then you sold to them. Stores figured out that they could produce less and less size range because there's a bell curve of where the size ranges sit and that they just started chopping off the ends. And we didn't notice the fact that they chopped off the lower end as much because there were still clothing for children and teenagers. Oh. Yeah, so smaller women just ended up having to buy literal yeah, children's my, clothing. Um, Matt's aunt, actually, she's very petite, just one of these people that are just naturally really slim. She has to buy children's clothes. And she says like that, you know, just as we kind of find it hard having to, to buy plus sizes and all of that, she says that she finds it really dehumanizing in a lot of the sense of the word because, yeah, she doesn't, she's, you know, she's in her 60s. She doesn't want to be wearing children's clothes with butterflies on it, just like we don't. It's <laughs> <laughs> plus size women. Uh, so, yeah, it's interesting actually that it works at both ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just didn't notice it on the lower end because they technically still find a pair of pants. But it was just a mat- matter of cutting costs. That's all it was, was you don't make as much money because there aren't as many people on that other end. And they just started doing that and expecting people to catch up with it because frankly, there's much more money to be made in telling people they're the ones in the wrong and therefore making them pay money to change themselves for that. So it it's all completely interrelated. <laughs> I'm absolutely seething, right? That so many of the issues that me, my friends, and all the people listening to this podcast have are because men wanted to line their pockets. I am seething, honestly. I can't talk about it. Uh, So to get me even more seething, I have a great question for you. And that is, is that why men's sizing is so much more straightforward? So for example, the dudes... They just buy jeans and trousers based on inches. There is no, they're not buying size 10s, 12s, 20s. I'm so upset. Please help me, Nicole. (laughs) (laughs) So so men's clothing went through a similar sizing process that women's did. It was all happening at the same time. So it wasn't originally intended to be different. The difference was the fact that, like I said, men's suits were the standard of men's clothing for a very long time. And if it wasn't a suit, it was workwear. And tailors were the stragglers, essentially, like they were the one trade that continued and still does exist today. There's lots of, say, you go to uh, dry cleaners, they sometimes will have an in-house tailor. And those are the things that they still expect to be tailored. And so the casual shift that occurs again, starting really in the 70s, it's when jeans become acceptable to wear for everyday things like that. That's when it starts to change for men. But they still have access Really, up until today, it's only really faded out in the last 20 years distinctly. They've had access to someone to tailor their clothing to fit them or, worst case, a belt. 
<laughs> so they have not needed a sizing system in the same way, though they do also suffer from vanity sizing. If you go around and compare men's trousers from the same size from different brands, they will be different proportions. They will still be different sizes. So they're mm. still not accurate. They just stuck with that one system because men were more accustomed to going to a tailor and getting measurements. And so they knew oh, their measurements of their body and they can apply simple waist length versus a woman's dress where you have to apply bust waist hip, possibly more than that. So mm. it's, it's more complicated, but they had always had that system. And when women started wearing trousers more regularly, which doesn't, again, really happen until, I mean, it starts to pick up in the 20s and 30s, but it takes off the 1950s. We've already established our sizing systems. They're just going to throw them into that. So we just picked up trousers too late to get in on the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but there's still a, a really a real lack of plus sizes for men as well. Like I know shopping for Matt. I mean, there's literally a couple of places he can shop. Yeah. And on top of that, the waist and length isn't enough. Go ask any guy that has like larger thighs. Mm. <laughs> that is not easy to shop for. One sizing system does not fit all, everyone. No. <laughs> and it's kind of like obviously high time that we redo that sizing system, but I'm assuming that will now never happen. Like the, it, it's gone too much. Like every, how many hundreds of thousands of brands are going to have to adhere to that, change all their thing, spend all that money. It's just not going to happen. So we're now stuck in this space of we have to fit to those clothes where we want to get to is that the size of those clothes don't mean anything to us. They don't make us feel down or happy or whatever. It's just, oh, that particular size 20 isn't fitting my ass. Okay, cool. I'll get a size 22. It means nothing. What we're trying to really say is the sizes mean nothing. Like Mm. no things. They are just an arbitrary set of measurements that was decided upon by, honestly, and here's the thing I also want to emphasize, with the way that modern clothing is made, though most of the companies are, say, in the country that the clothing is being sold from, and they have people designing the clothing and working with the manufacturers, it is still being sent off to other areas of the world that have different proportions and different size ranges. I used to work for a shoe manufacturing company, and we had our shoes manufactured in China and trying to figure out how to tell them what wide actually meant in the sense of when they wanted to up the width of a shoe and do wide widths, they wanted to up the width of the entire foot, including the heel. Your heel doesn't get larger when you have a wide foot. It stays the same. Your foot just stretches more in front. So they were upping the entire width and then we'd find that your heel would slip out of the shoe and then you end up with blisters and it'd be uncomfortable because that's not something that they dealt with there. So they didn't have the knowledge to deal with that because that was not something that they encountered and had issues with. They saw that as a uniquely American or uniquely European experience. And so they just literally didn't have the knowledge and the technology to do that easily. So it required going back and forth a ton. And similar things occur whenever they're doing plus size garments or larger size garments. The fact that if the people over there who are doing the physical body blocks, who are doing the physical sampling of the garments don't know what those bodies are like, 
doesn't matter how much knowledge we have, doesn't matter how much education we give these people who are fashion designers, because that is part of a fashion design education now is learning how to deal with plus size bodies. But it doesn't matter if they know how to do it, if the people that are making the physical samples don't know. So we have so many people in the steps of this experience that can alter it just a little bit every bit of the way. And it's a telephone game by the time you reach the end. And it doesn't look at all right. doesn't work. So even if so, you know, Laura and I talk a lot about there being representation of people in diverse bodies on the boards in the design rooms. It's not just those places. It's from conception to on the rails. We need people who understand that lived experience of being in a different body, whether that is being in bigger or feel disabled you've got different needs for that all of these things it's so important to have representation but it's (laughs) the added complication now is that it needs to be across the board yeah and it becomes a matter of you have to fight for it it just takes more effort more time and more money because you're going to get samples back that don't work but the only way that you know that they don't work is to try them on a bunch of people who are examples of what you're trying to make work and then go, okay, it didn't work because of X, Y, Z. So they have to be knowledgeable and educated enough in what made it not work to send that back. Because if you just say it doesn't fit here, you're not going to get your next sample back any better. It's just going to be changed in some really weird way. <laughs> so you have to send them off tons of information, tons of numbers, really exacting changes down to the millimeter of what is wrong with this thing, which means the person handling it needs to know. And like I said, that is now part of the educational process. When I went off to graduate school a few years ago, it was in a fashion department. And so I got to see the students actually experiencing these things. And it's part of their curriculum now, thankfully. But it's only been part of the curriculum for the last 10 years, maybe. So we're now putting all of these new fashion design students out there, but it's going to take them a while to get into powerful positions where they get to choose where the money goes. So it's going to be a little while, even though we're educating people on it. One of our listeners asked uh, Nicole about vintage clothes. She says, have you got any advice on how to find plus size vintage clothes? It's difficult to find because it just doesn't exist. And not because those bodies didn't exist. Those bodies have always existed. It's difficult to find because a larger quantity of fabric, a larger garment can be taken in and it can be turned into other things. So when we exist in a world where alterations are normal, we also exist in a world where clothing is consistently altered to be something for somebody else. And so all of those clothing items that we would expect to see from larger figures are used up not just by the person wearing it, but by literally generations who reused the fabric and remade it and pulled it out of storage and did things to it. If you look at gowns in museums, the vast majority of them have alteration marks on them. Really? Yeah, because the fabric is what was expensive. Until we really reach the 20th century, the fabric's what's expensive. And that Mm -hmm. mindset continues with things like the Great Depression and issues like that. So they continue to alter the clothing, making it just literally whittle away and disappear. And so you're just not going to find it. That's really interesting because I always thought it was because they didn't cater for bigger women. And so like now, like if you, I mean, I don't really do it because I just, to be honest, historically, I've never been able to find 
vintage clothes in my size but I, I think this is still true and I'm sure someone will write in and tell us if it's not but it does seem feel like a lot of the vintage clothes are very very small and very tiny and I, I honestly thought that's just because plus size women weren't catered for I thought it was because plus size women didn't exist genuinely no that no in terms of like finding vintage I, I'm with you it, you know it, it's, it's just not there and I think the availability of it is it's never going to get better it's probably only the best it ever is now and you the vintage stuff that you might occasionally come across in charity shops might be from some you know someone's nan who has passed away and you might get a few like 30s 40s 50s stuff in there very few and far between i follow the hashtag plus size vintage first of all on instagram i follow a bunch of vintage account posting photos of plus size people back in the day and whatever day that would have been to get inspiration that way and then either make the clothes myself or get inspiration from current clothes so in my wardrobe can i style it a different way oh can i i really love that dress can I go and find something on Vinted? So recently I saw a beautiful photo, um, I think it was from the 50s, of this woman wearing a yellow lemon dress, summer in like Positano vibes. And I was like, I need that dress. Went straight to Vinted and found it for 10 quid on, you know, I think it was like a Lindy Bop or something like that. I'm not going to find a true vintage because it's not going to happen. But for those that want to dress more in a vintage style, it's possible. So if anyone is watching this as opposed to listening to it and wondering why Nicole is now in her closet or wardrobe, (laughs) it's because her neighbours very rudely and selfishly decided to dig up the concrete. Uh, So thanks, Nicole, for moving. (laughs) (laughs) So probably the most asked question was about the inconsistency in sizing because you can go into a shop can't you and you can pick up say a size 12 jeans in different styles and they vary massively why is that it's because of the way that clothing is produced today so a lot of these larger brands they don't actually design and produce all of the clothing that they sell they very often actually go to these big shows and then they find other people who are already producing something and then they buy that thing So the sizing is not going to be consistent because if you go to a company, they don't make all of their own stuff. So they're using different people with different sizing systems, even the big names. Uh. You can sometimes find it that way. And even then, if they are going through and designing everything from the start and sending it off, they usually have multiple factories. And so every factory is going to have a different person when it comes to deciding the basic body block. You're going to have a different technical designer in every single location. So every single one of those made in blank tags that you look for, you will find different countries and different cities across one brand. We don't stand a chance. (laughs) There's there is no consistency. Like I said, at most sizing is guidelines, not rules. And they are very lax on the guidelines. They are less lax on things like flammability or stuff like that, but they really don't care about sizing. There's no regulation for it whatsoever. Even if it is planned out perfectly, things will still happen in the manufacturing where they shave off a few millimeters here, a few centimeters here, and it saves them literal yards of fabric. Really? In the end, that saves the production facility money. Oh, wow. And they won't always tell people that about that. That makes so yeah, much sense. Yeah, so you can sense. work with the production facility and they they give you great samples. What you actually get in is going to be different. Oh my God. So, and that is not uncommon. You literally pay a separate outside company to go in and quality check every single piece. And so you have to pay a certain amount if you want that done, if you're willing to pay that. You have to pay a certain amount for an outside company to come in and check every single piece to make sure it's up to quality. But are they going to go in and measure every single piece? 
No. On top of that, mm. the way things are stamped out in large quantities is they have a big, like they literally pile up like feet of fabric and stamp. Or they have these big electric cutters. Try keeping those perfectly vertical. So if you try on a pair of jeans somewhere that are your usual size, they don't quite fit you, try checking other ones in the same size in the stack. They will be different. This makes so much more sense to me. Like, life makes more sense to me. Thank, I, thank <laughs> you. <laughs> the light bulb that has gone on in both of our heads and probably most people listening is like... Oh my goodness. And I don't even hate that. Like there's going to be inconsistencies. So even when you, you know, even when you make your own clothes and stuff, there's going to be inconsistencies. I kind of accept that. Mm. What I don't accept is the don't tell us. Just tell us. This is why. Mm. We had uh, a final question for you, Nicole, if we can. And this is a big one. And it's, you know, your advice on how can, how can people separate the emotional attachment to clothes sizes? Because there is an undeniable emotional attachment to them. Honestly, in the concept of history of humankind, they are brand new. They are an imperfect random system that we put into place. It is literally a considered a temporary system that we put into place to manage what we had at a time, which is not what we have anymore. So the system is broken. <laughs> like that is the easiest way to put it. The system is completely broken. It is completely messed up. It was never intended to work like this. It was never intended to work. And it's not anyone in particular's fault. It's just bad engineering. Mm. And if you are in a poorly engineered building and it falls down around you, that is not your fault. <laughs> you didn't do anything <laughs> to make the building fall down. <laughs> I think that's so valuable because so many of us, like Lauren said, we deplace this emotional kind of value on clothes. And we do see it as a moral failing sometimes rather than just a kind of a neutral thing, whether you lose or gain weight. And I think a lot of us will hang on to clothes you know, like that kind of like that dream weight dress or that dream size dress. And actually, I think just, just chatting to you, it just makes me realise that it is all bollocks, isn't it? Like clothes are meant to fit us. We are not meant to fit clothes. So I really can't thank you enough. Like It's been such an eye-opener. It's been great to talk about it. I did a video on it like two years ago at this point. I was like, this is something people should know because yes. it is, it's so different than the way that we think about clothing and think about the way that sizes work and everything. It's like, nope, it's it's changed so dramatically and no one was holding the reins. And we're the ones that got run over. <laughs> now, I know you're probably half listening to this ad or getting ready to skip it, but I want you to take a second to tune in and be mindful of how you feel right now. Take a minute and take a deep breath. If you're feeling stressed or anxious, keep listening so we can tell you all about Calm. Calm is the app that helps you stress less, sleep more and live a happier, healthier life. Their guided meditations, sleep stories, relaxing music tracks and gentle movement sessions are all designed to give you the tools to help you improve the way you feel. Both Laura and I have tried some meditations recently because I thought like we've definitely needed them. We've been anxious aardvarks lately. We've been anxious recently <laughs> and we've tried the meditations and they do really help because they bring you back to the moment and they stop your brain focusing on the thing that's making you anxious. And they're so helpful. Over 100 million people around the world use Calm. Even if you've never meditated before, you'll get the support you need to reduce stress, improve focus and uplift your mood. The sleep stories can also help you drift off calmly or even just keep you company if you're overthinking while you try to sleep and new content is added every month. And if you go to calm.com slash love, you'll get a special offer of a 40% off Calm premium subscription. That is calm.com slash love, L-O-V-E, for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. Lauren, mm -hmm. history and fashion. Mm -hmm. Are you in your element right mm -hmm. now? Was Girl. that good for you? 
no words. I find it so interesting. I really enjoyed that. I really hope our listeners did as well. I know you would have done. Also, because you've given us some fabulous feedback on one of our more recent episodes as well, which we yes. want to run through because Laura and I were really nervous about this episode mm. because we, you know, we can talk about things that we have got experience in. That's obviously the point of having a podcast. And we don't have a lot of experience with exercise and movement. And so yeah. even after we recorded the episode, we were kind of like, <laughs> God, is it shit? <laughs> basically Um, a little bit and we were worried but the morning it came out I was getting messages from people saying thank you so much for talking about it I think people really appreciate the honesty Mm. Katie actually wrote in hi Katie she says I can't say thank you enough for your podcast I literally feel it has changed my life for the good my sister told me about your podcast and I've not been the same since I went out and bought leggings for the first time in my life I work out and feel so uncomfortable in my cotton workout pants, but wasn't comfortable wearing leggings because of how I look. But after listening to you two, I bought a pair and wore them for a workout. At a point during the workout, I felt so bad about myself. And then I thought about all your body positivity comments and stayed in class and will continue to wear those pants. Oh, stop. Brilliant, Katie. Well done. I'm going to cry. Really happy for you. Um, that sounded so Did it? <laughs> really happy for you. <laughs> we are so happy for you. I literally love that. We also had a message from Anina, who's one of our patrons. Hi, Anina. How are you? Uh, and she said, I know that a lot of us in bigger bodies see exercise as punishment, but I really recommend finding some movement you enjoy and maybe even trying to go back to the gym or other activities you used to hate just to see if it feels different this time. That's a really good point. I quite like mm. that. She said, movement is so good for us and it can be so freeing to separate it from weight loss and just do it to be stronger have a better heart mental health benefits without pressuring yourself I love that finally she said I managed to do this and separated it from the way my body looks and focusing on the way my body feels and it has been so rewarding last but not least we had Liana on Patreon say I needed to hear this today after having a good few months of regular exercise and movement I've swung right over to the other side I keep setting myself unachievable goals so this has been a reminder to be kind to myself really pleased to hear that Liana thank you for sharing I love that and we're so pleased that you uh, love that episode we really I got a lot from it as well more than mm. I expected to I loved it me too thank you so much for listening and don't forget if you ever want to get in touch with us you can email us on golove at crowdnetwork.co.uk and if you want more of us before our next episode you can check out our Facebook group just search for Go Love Yourself Community or follow us on Instagram at Go Love Yourself Pod you can also support the show by subscribing on Patreon or Apple Podcasts where you can get ad free and early episodes for £1 a week or you can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. And remember to check out our YouTube channel. Hi, YouTube! Just search for Go Love Yourself Podcast or click the link in the episode description. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye! Crowd Network. A place where you belong. Hello, I'm La La La, let me explain. And this is, it's not you, it's them, but it might be you. I'm here to answer all your questions around love, relationships, sex, dating dilemmas, and anything else you throw my way. Join me three times a week as we work through the depths of this intimacy pool together. From Sony Music Entertainment, listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.